for me, presentation thinking is always looking for and building the presentation in that overlap between what I know and what my audience knows so that I can, yes, introduce them to some new concepts, but it has to start with where they are right now. Welcome back to Presentation Thinking, aka the Storyteller Study Club. I'm your host, co-host, Mikey Maduski, uh, founder and CEO of a company called Ghost Ranch Communications, and I'm joined by Molly Gagan. Molly, can you tell us about the exciting guest we have today? Um, I'm so stoked to kick us off for 2023 with one of our true presentation heroes, honestly, Tamsin Webster. Welcome to Presentation Thinking. I am thrilled. I love you all and your work. And I love the Storyteller Study Club. That is yes. fantastic. <laughs> yes. we're, we're on a mission to like come up with as many pseudonyms or alternative titles yep. to the podcast as possible. <laughs> Don't know how strategic it is, but yeah, Mikey's yeah. good at it. So. <laughs> awesome. um, but Tamsin, we had you speak uh, to Ghost Ranch this past summer, last year, at, at Chicago for our story camp, our retreat. And you've written The Red Thread, which is an amazing book that really inspired Mikey. He bought a copy for everyone. He's holding it up uh, in the company. And yeah, and have this incredible background with TED, working um, with speakers to prepare their TED Talks in those amazing 18-minute segments that we have been studying here on the podcast. So it's really cool and kind of meta to have you here a tedder yourself and um, yeah. a tedster <laughs> and an, yeah is that the term do they have a yeah, yeah for the for okay. the big the folks that attend big ted are known mm-hmm. as tedsters yeah perfect okay i love it and yeah so we first and foremost would love to just yeah get the spiel um we've got you we know you've done tons of podcasts talking about the red thread concept which we're going to dig into here a little bit but if you could just set the presentation nation listeners up with what does that mean and where did that come from and um, yeah, tee us up here. Yeah, sure. So the the red thread, the quick definition of it is the story that we tell ourselves about why things work the way that they do. And so that's useful either to retroactively to explain to yourself, like, why did I do a thing? Uh, but obviously for companies, it's very useful to have a way to articulate why do you do what you do the way that you do it. And so uh, I found that companies really struggled with that. And so I wanted to figure out a way to make that easier. I took a cue from story and storytelling and story structure, but was simultaneously frustrated with a lot of the stuff that was out there because not every story is a hero's journey. And that's, totally. not, that's not appropriate for everything. And so I wanted to find what were the elements of these stories that we tell ourselves and that we tell other people that were consistent and present in all stories. Turns out there were five. And so then I created this method that for how to find them, how to string them together to create the story that explains to other people why it is that you do what you do the way that you do it. And I got its name from mythology. You asked that question as well. From mythology and Northern European idiom. Yes. Which comes from yeah. So, uh, as I discovered over my career, there, particularly folks in Sweden, though I've since found out later that a lot of Northern Europeans uh, use the phrase as well, refer to the big idea of something as the red thread. What is the logical progression of ideas? What's the through line, etc. So that named exactly the thing that I was talking about. So I was like, great. 
I'm just going to use it. It's a great visceral term. I was like, why is it called the red thread? Uh, so I went digging into that. And the reason why they think that red thread is called the red thread, though there's many red threads in lots of different cultures and all sorts of things. But that one comes from the myth or the legend of Theseus and the uh, Minotaur's labyrinth. And the red thread was something that Ariadne, um, the woman he abused and then abandoned, but she like saved him by giving him a sword and a red thread so that he could navigate the maze uh, to this Minotaur defeat the Minotaur, escape the maze, and save the city of Athens. So um, because this method is very much similar to that, it's retracing your steps for why are you doing what you're doing the way that you're doing it? What was that story you told yourself so that you can tell it to other people? It was a good match. And there we go. I think it's kind of like the cherry on top that your core idea is kind of based in like epic folklore and like Mm. something that's gone back for centuries and resonates like throughout permeates throughout various cultures and stuff. And I think that's like a perfect example and indicator of like how resonative, resonative, is that a word that it is? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and what's funny is that I, it took me a while to like actually match up the two things because I had the process, like, and I Mm -hmm. had these like five elements of story structure that could explain an idea and all of this. And then I had this concept of the red thread and I, there was this very seminal dinner I had with some very smart friends of mine where I'm like, I'm a marketer and I know I can't call this thing like goal, problem, truth, change, action. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, but there's this other thing that seems similar. And they're like, oh my gosh, James, and just call it that. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Let's just call it that. <laughs> kind of so, so cool. Yeah. 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 I love that you called it. You talked about a big idea too. And I think, you know, I I had studied advertising. I'm sure some people, you know, listening had as well, where that was what was wrong with a lot of the advertising pre-creative revolution is like, you're trying to say everything in one advertisement, as opposed to really trying to pull them in with one thing that's really going to stick. Is that what, were you running into problems? Like what were some of the key issues that you were seeing other marketers like, or speakers or whatnot, like, bumping up against? Was it a lack of that? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, we try to give everything, we try to give everybody everything all at once. And while that's a spectacular movie, it is a terrible way to communicate Mm -hmm. Um, because people, (laughs) humans can't process that much information simultaneously or, you know, our working memory just can't handle that much new information, nor can we So A, we can't handle it. B, it sets off what's known as the paradox of choice. You get all of this stuff and you don't know which thing is important. And so you don't pay attention to any of it. And then the third issue is that people don't believe it when you lead with like, it slices, it dices, right? Like a famous, you know, the famous infomercial for whatever knives at work, like, (laughs) you know, all the things that something does, like people don't believe it. And really all we can handle and really what's best is for someone to like what is that single big idea that I can mm-hmm. that I can take away so that a I can process it b I can believe it that you can make a case for it that I will actually understand agree with and ultimately act on and third that I you're you're kind of honoring me as an audience to say this is the important thing like this is the one thing you need to do the kind of free prize because Seth Godin like from all of that is that when it's one big idea mm-hmm. clearly stated, it's way easier for someone to then tell somebody else about it, right. In a way that they will believe and they will understand. And I would, you know, we all know that the vast majority of effective marketing and effective idea spreading happens person to person, mm-hmm. not company to 
audience, right? And so that to me was, you know, also, you know, one of the things that I saw as an issue and then something I also wanted to solve for. Uh, I've also heard you call yourself an English to English translator, which I think (laughs) perfectly aligns with what you said there as far as like, giving that person the free prize and that it's easy to replicate and pass on the game of telephone. Like it won't get lost. You know, the big idea is there. And Mikey, I know that's one of the core tenements that you've had drawn up for ghost ranch communications for since the beginning, right? Is worship the big idea. Mm -hmm. Always come back to that. And how does it fit in? Was there Tim's and I'm just curious when you set this up, was there like, yeah, an aha moment when you knew, like when you first went out with like calling it the red thread being like, Hmm, see if people think I'm like, a mythology nerd or like, is this going to work <laughs> yeah, with like, people? Well, I, I definitely decided to lean into the, to, to my, my not so inner wonk there. Um, <laughs> what I found immediately was that it's, it's, it's an alluring concept. Like just somebody hears about it. Like, you know, like, Oh, have you found the red thread of something? And then all of a sudden they're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it opens a curiosity gap um, because you get a sense of what it might be. And you also, I think, simultaneously get a sense of like, yeah, we don't have that. <laughs> we don't yeah. have a thing that kind of ties everything together. We don't have a thing that where, you know, we know that our stuff makes sense to other people. And there's a ton of reasons for that. That kind of happened really right away. But, you know, thank goodness for my, you know, that I had the the latitude and the grace, uh, both of the executive director of TEDx Cambridge and of you know, the speakers that were the the early lab for all of this. Because the vast majority of the speakers at TEDx Cambridge, where I've, you know, was executive producer and I've been the idea strategist, you know, now over the course of close to a decade, you know, these are academics, these are experts, right? And that's one of the sure. that's kind of the one of the languages that I've learned to translate is like expert to every day. Like that's mm-hmm. my most common translation exercise. So it was an early test to say, mm-hmm is it possible if we just use this structure uh, to take, in some cases, people's entire like body of work and, and, and get it to a point where we've got a clear, simple articulation of that big idea in a way that didn't sacrifice any of its sophistication, didn't oversimplify and didn't overstate or overpromise what it was, was all about. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And I'm like, I'm delighted to say it worked like from the get-go. I mean, it, I needed, I learned ways to refine it and more ways to make it easier for people to understand the pieces and to get them. And frankly, I continue to discover more about it. In fact, like, you know, currently working on book number two, which is really the the evolution and the the deepening of the understanding of why it works the way mm-hmm. it does. But it really was in those early days with TEDx Cambridge and those speakers where you know, the first time we did it like this, we we got one, if not two of those speakers promoted to TED.com out of six wow. speakers. And I was Jeez. like, oh, rock yeah. on. Like, okay, yeah. something's working well. Um, yeah. yeah, because it's really hard to get your talk promoted, you know, as the featured talk on TED.com as a TEDx. Um, and when it hit, we were like, oh, okay, we're on, you know, the Dimitri, the executive director, is like, okay, you can keep using your little process there, Tampa. <laughs> your little, your little story there oh, that that yeah, worked. That's yeah, working. And Very nice. One one thing I've I've picked up from your work too is this idea that okay, Molly has great ideas all the time. She comes to me, tells me her great idea, 
And I'm like, yeah, cool. Um, but if she <laughs> guides me there in a way that I, it feels like it's my idea, then I'm like, you know, like you talk, what, what is that psychology and, and how the heck, like, does it relate to presentations and, and selling and all that? Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm probably going to slightly misquote, but Pascal, philosopher, mathematician, mm-hmm. uh, is the progenitor of like two of my favorite quotes about all of this. But one of them relates to what you're talking about is, that people are generally better persuaded by the thoughts that come from their own mind than those from the minds of others or something along those lines. In other words, we believe our own conclusions the most (laughs) and the most strongly because we came up with them. And the challenge is that when we are, when we are either speaking, you know, team member to team member or, you know, manager, manager to team or speaker to audience, A lot of times we lead with the conclusion and then we just stay there. And a lot of us are taught that way, right? That is the American academic presentation is here's my conclusion. Let me defend it in three Mm -hmm. main points. Let me restate that. Hope I proved it. And there you go. Yeah. But if you think about it, that puts people like puts you, the speaker and your like in the position of defensiveness from the get go, because you're saying that you're basically having to prove something after you've already asserted that it's the right answer. But that's not how we come to our own conclusions. We come to our own conclusions by kind of like step by step by kind of understanding a piece. And then once that piece is sorted out, that opens up another piece, another piece or puzzle that has to get solved. And so, you know, really what we end up doing is that we, when we're coming up with a new idea, or when we come to our own conclusion, we're essentially going in a, you know, we're taking steps where we agree with principles. And then all of a sudden those, those things click together in our mind and they turn into, oh, then therefore I must. So by flipping that piece around, right. When we're presenting our ideas to other people and essentially presenting the principle, you know, the principles behind an idea before we present the idea, mm-hmm. we're doing a couple things. One is we are more closely aligning with how somebody comes to understand something in the first place. So that's good. It means we're raising the probability of success there. We're being clear about what those principles are. So we're reducing the chance of misunderstanding. And also we're getting points of, we're able to make sure that we're not losing anybody along the way, right? Because if they don't agree with the principle, we can stop right there and like clarify, adjust, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And then third, by the time they've agreed with the principles behind, let's say a product, it's really hard for them to disagree with how those principles come together into a conclusion, right? So again, you're raising the probability that that format of presentation can be successful. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to say at the beginning, hey, I think the best way to do X is Y, but you're going to say, but let me back up, right? It's not because it achieves all these amazing things that slices it dices. It's because, right, there is this problem because mm-hmm. people have doing, you know, been looking at it one way or another. There's a tension that has to be resolved. And second, that the nature of that problem dictates a kind of nature of response. And we have that therefore. So I think flipping it around just it aligns with how we think. So it 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 works. I have found that it works significantly mm-hmm. better than the other way. It's a bit of an inception process. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. And is that, I think, are the components of story in that when you say that out loud, you mentioned the five components or elements of, of most common stories. Is that how you string it together? Is that sort of the secret sauce? In, yeah. I mean, that's the secret sauce. So, I mean, so... And again, I have to like, I have to like decide which, which way to go here. Cause I can explain it red thread way, or I can explain it like kind of like the next level down, which is where book two mm-hmm. is coming in. Um, 
evolution. Because, all right. So here's, here's the thing. A story, you know, every reason has a story, right? One of the reasons why, you know, as I said, a, a story, you know, a red thread is the story we tell ourselves about, you know, or the story that drives action, right? Like, again, there's different ways to think about it, but it's the story that we tell ourselves to explain why things work, why we do the things we do, et cetera. And that story, uh, you know, it's long been said that a story is an argument. And we generally, that's been talked about from the point of view of, you know, fiction stories, nonfiction stories, et cetera. It's, a, it's an argument for an idea. Well, one of the things that I discovered as I was kind of continuing to do this deep work about the red thread and why it worked, because I was just curious, like I knew it worked, but why, right? Like, why does it work? Um, was to discover that stories, when they say a story is an argument, what I discovered is that it's literally true, but a story is literally a logical argument for a new way of thinking or behaving. And, you know, the minimum viable argument, right, is what's known as a syllogism. Okay, I'm going to go wonk here, Ooh. but- that is a syllogism, essentially two ideas that that add up to a third one. So that as it turns out, like the, the, the pieces of a story essentially are the things that set up those principles, like those two principles that lead to a conclusion. So, you know, I talk in the red thread, a red thread starts with, you know, every story starts with a goal. What is mm -hmm. something that somebody wants that they don't yet have? And that sets the context for the argument. Like if you want something, Okay, we need an idea, right? So that it's not part of the argument itself. It sets the context for the argument. It makes sure that you're like, you know, are you know, are concluding for something that somebody actually wants something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next major point in every story is a problem, a conflict, right? There's something that that somebody didn't know about that's getting in the way of what they want and that has to be solved before they can get what they want. Right. And that in essence, establishes one of these first principles. It's like it's the, you know, it's basically saying that the only way to get the something that you want, right, is if this thing, other thing is true. So let me see if I can come up with a quick example of that. Um, so I'll, I'll use the thesis of the new book, which is that the best way to get people invested in an idea is to make it part of a story they already believe. Right. So that's the thesis of the book. Now, the context, the goal is how can we get someone invested in an idea? Right. Like that's something most people want. Most speakers want most companies want. I need somebody not just to understand it. Not I need them to get invested in it I work with a lot of tech companies. So that it has a nice double play of like, how do I actually get them to invest in it? But mm -hmm. invest. Right. But that sets the context. It basically says goal. Do you want to know how to get people invested? Great. Let me present this. Now the problem pair, like that I would say, is that a lot of times when we're we're focused on this, right? We are trying to, which is saying before, we are kind of we're starting at the end of the story rather than the beginning. We're kind of we're arguing from the point of view of somebody who's already convinced that something is right. You know, we're explaining rather than arguing is what I would say. But that establishes the principle, right? That every decision has a story. So it's a problem if you are only giving an explanation or you're only telling your story for something because your audience needs their own story in order to act. See what I'm going with that? So, mm -hmm. And then, that's like, yeah, that's about like relating to your audience too. Just that core thing of needing them to pull something from their own personal experience too. Absolutely. And in order for them to go a new direction, they have to understand the departure. So one of the ways to think about this kind of principle behind the problem is that it's it it is the principle that explains why you must must depart from mm -hmm. your 
current approach, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Not where to go yet, but why you must depart. Because if I'm telling, if I'm focused more on what I want to say about my idea than what you need to hear, and you agree that every decision has a story behind it, your own, um, the story you believe, right? Mm -hmm. Then once you've established that, then you're like, okay, now it's clear why I must depart from my current approach. Now we yeah. need, we need to know where to go, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't just tell someone get out of the house. <laughs> like you need to go, like, where do I go? And so that's where that next piece in a story and the second principle comes in. So in a story, you know, the, the, the most important moment in any story is what's known as the moment of truth. Right. So this is the third piece of the red thread, which we call the truth, Mm. which is that moment where something is realized or recognized. You know, the Aristotelian word for it is the anagnorisis, which means recognition. It's the moment where the main character recognizes the true nature of their circumstances. Sounds a lot like a principle to me, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and so if I'm talking about the best way to get someone invested in an idea, right? And the problem is that we're focused more on what we want to say than what people need to hear. And that's a problem because every decision has a story we believe. Then I need to give somebody something that they already agree with. That's the key, right? That indicates the nature of where I want them to go. Mm-hmm. And so again, you're getting this like as I'm figuring it out. Um, but where I'm landing currently on that truth, right, is that The reason why you would want something that somebody already believes, right, is that we're already invested in our existing beliefs. Yes. So if I know, if I agree that every story has a story we believe and I'm most invested in my existing beliefs, then when I tell you, like, if I hadn't told you the answer that the best way to get somebody invested is to make it part of a story that they already believe, by the time I get there, you're like, yep. Right. So that's that fourth piece. That's the change, the change Mm -hmm. in thinking. But you see how it's kind of based on those two ideas. One, every decision has a story we believe. And then two, right, we are already invested in our existing beliefs. Therefore, if you want somebody invested in your idea, tell a story that's based on their existing beliefs, not Mm -hmm. don't try to give them, don't try to change those beliefs, give them something new, take these old beliefs and put them together in a new way. So that's, Goal, problem, truth, change. And then the action is, okay, what, how do you do that? And that's, that's what the book is about. Like find yeah. these two principles behind your product or your pursuit or your program, mm-hmm. articulate those, and then you can articulate them. Anyway, super wonky, but that's where it is right now. No, you're a scientist of storytelling. Like yeah, everything you're saying has like yeah. backed psychology. It makes so much sense. And what you're, the process you're talking about, which we're going to go through in your tool called the conversational case goal, problem, truth, change, action fits so well to what Mikey and I've talked about in various ways on the cast already with the seven basic plots and how, you know, many stories fit into a similar arc. And you almost verbatim quoted one of my old screenwriting teachers about like, you know, a person really is like, she always used to say a character is wanting something really badly, but they're having a hard time getting it. And with you saying, presenting, you know, there's someone that wants something, a company that wants something and there's a problem, right? That's it. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. 
It makes so much sense. Yeah, it's, I mean, I love this stuff. I mean, my sister actually is a screenwriter, so it's fun. We sometimes awesome. ah, nice. Yeah, so she's, a, I'd like happy to say she's an Emmy Award winning and what? Writers Guild okay. of America Award winning. I know. She was, oh man, uh, what should we link? What should we play? I, I she's executive producer of, she was executive producer for the first four seasons of Handmaid's Tale. Um, and she, I know, right? Yeah, she's awesome. Um, and she's, yeah, she's currently working with HBO. She was working as a showrunner on J.J. Abrams' new show, which he pulled from HBO. Oh, but so she's not working on something else. But yeah, so she, uh, yeah, so she okay, was. Okay, you heard it here first. Her yeah, she, she, yeah, she won her Emmy and her WGAs for second season of um, Handmaid's Tale. So the, cool. the episode where June has the baby in the house with yeah, the wolf. I've watched it. That's yeah. my sister's episode. Wow. Like that's one of oh them. Gosh, but that's the yeah. one that she won the award for. There's yeah. some seriously powerful writing in that show yeah, for sure. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm still watching just as I gotta see how it ends, you know. So yeah, same. <laughs> it's like I know she's not on it anymore, but I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so a lot of actually the where I've been, you know, the thinking that has happened for me with all of this, you know, this year has really been driven by some of these questions that I was asking of my sister, like the moment of truth in a story. I was like, that's always there, right? She's like, yeah, sometimes we, you know, in screenwriting, they typically are calling it the penny drop moment. And I just remember having this conversation with her. I'm like, but what's the penny? Like, what do you call the penny? And she's like, it doesn't have a name. And I'm like, what? How does it not have a name? Like, how do you not like identify this thing? Like, there's like, this is a key component in every story. Like, the thing that's revealed in the moment of the truth. What mm-hmm. What is it? And yeah. she's like, uh, we don't have a name for it. And I'm like, I will find a name. Yeah, <laughs> totally. After years of creative writing, screenwriters yeah. haven't come yeah. up with that yet. Yeah, well, on. I mean, but the thing is, is like, what's interesting is if you go and look at logic, right? So, you know, thanks. You know, I don't, it's not an accident that, that Aristotle is both the father of the three-act structure mm-hmm. and of syllogisms. That's not a flipping accident. Like mm-hmm. it's the same guy, not an accident. Right. But like, if you, if you go to look at logic, what is revealed in that, you know, it's that second piece, what I call the, the truth logic would call it the major premise. Mm-hmm. Psychology would call it a silent assumption or a schema. Oh. I love the term silent assumption, which comes from um, Beck and Burns, the folks that were the, the creators of cognitive behavioral therapy. Because it's the, like, again, it's these things, these assumptions about how the world works that are operating oftentimes silently in psychology that can be what manifests in depression or anxiety. But I mean, if you think about the classic reveals and moments of truth, like really famous ones, like I see dead people, right? (laughs) All of a sudden, like all of a sudden that is the surfacing of a silent assumption. You're like, oh crap, right? Or Luke, I am your father. Uh, Yeah, that's Um, what I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's one I use in one of my talks because every, everybody knows it, even if they haven't seen Star Wars. Like all of a sudden it's like, well, that's a sound assumption. It was something that was known to one person, not to the other. Mm-hmm. But when it comes into the story, it changes the arc of the story. Like it's essentially like the second to last line of that particular movie, but it changes the arc of Luke and, you know, what happens after that. So Yes. Anyway, I think we just got to like, I, I know no, I love it. A little tangent yeah. there, but that was, yeah. Super Should fun. we all take, yeah. I'm like, do we need to take a screenwriting class, Mikey? Yeah. There yeah. you go. But this is cool. When I was, you know, originally when I was doing a lot of the research for Red Thread, I, you know, I, I, a lot of it came from, you know, I got a lot of the resources from my sister. I was just really curious as to how do you fill in the blanks, you know, cause so you, you we were joking before we were talking about 
uh, before we started recording about how this conversational case tool is very Mad Lib-like, like that kind of classic <laughs> yes. game with kids. And that was that was 100% the analogy that came to my mind when I started to figure out that like across the seven plots of, you know, across all genres, you know, reading across, you know, Sean Coyne's story grid, which is kind of about long form fiction and Blake Snyder Save the Cat and mm-hmm. Cam Miller's Heroes Succeed, you know, which Blake Snyder's about writing for movies and Cam Miller's about writing for TV. I was really interested in, okay, so it's kind of like a Mad Lib where we already know what the blanks are, like that every story has these blanks. And so I was curious if every story has these blanks, like how do writers figure out what to put in the blanks, like what goes in the blanks? And so mm-hmm. that's where books on screenwriting came and you know novel writing and things like that came in really handy because I was really curious as to what those structures were. So yeah, I mean, I think anybody who's creating content can really benefit from reading like Save the Cat, Hero Succeeds, um, Story Grid, because you start to get a deeper understanding about not just what the parts are, but why they're there. And when I think you understand why something is where it is, you mm-hmm. have a much better, more flexible and more universal understanding of what kind of thing you can put in. Yeah. And that's exactly what we've talked about with presentation thinking is we want to go beyond just like what the story or the presentation, the PowerPoint deck that it is and what makes that stick and why is that one, why are certain ones impactful and how can we replicate that? And um, yeah, give people better tools to tell their story. And one of those tools, presentation nation, uh, we'd love to do this here with you live, Tamsin. Uh, This is your tool called the conversational case, which as you said, is kind of, yeah, this, prompt and then blank, prompt and then blank to help figure out people's goals, the problem, the truth, change the action. So if you are at a point where you're developing this structure and like beginning of the new year, this is a great time to reevaluate what your company's doing, what like you're starting a new project, where it's going. Um, It's something that I think presentation thinking on our, like ourselves is going to find useful. I admit Mikey and I have already talked a little bit about mm-hmm. our answers so we can, we can Fair talk enough. them through yeah. with you. Yeah. So yeah, let's, uh, let's kick it off here. Mikey, do you want to, do you want to get to the, or actually let's read the, read the full sentence on its own. We'll link yeah. what the conversational cases so you can follow along, mm-hmm. but the full sentence will sound like when I, or we speak with blank, they often want to know blank, which is a common question, idea, product, or service so that they can blank achieve their goal. That's the goal, right? Uh, yeah. They often want to know is, is technically the red thread goal is the question that they're asking, but yes. yeah, that's, okay. and, and then the, the, so they can is the larger motivation behind that goal. It's kind no, of like perfect. the big outcome that they would achieve. Okay. Mm. Perfect. Um, should we start with that? Yeah. Thank you. This is why you're here. Tim. <laughs> section by section. Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, when we work with, they often want to know, so they can, um, just quickly on why those things are there is that it sets the context, whether this is just an internal tool or one that you use as a, as a kind of a starting structure for content that you're writing or developing in some way, it sets the context for everything else that follows, right? It's kind of like the opening scenes of the story. Um, So you're saying that this is when we work with, and what you're putting there is your specific audience that you're talking to. Okay. Right. And so it is who this message is for. Uh, And yeah, like, so that's the first thing. So that's, that's what you'd fill in. So you all say when, when you work with or talk Mm -hmm. to, and you're going to just going to choose something here. Sure. Yeah. We'll say, um, yeah. When we work with B2B product marketers. Perfect. um, yeah, which is great. One thing to avoid here is people. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Because it's just not specific enough, right? Yeah. Like, okay. you just say like when we speak with people, it's just, it's hard for people to know that that's them. So, you know, as much as sometimes we're uncomfortable with like lopping out some groups of people, a lot of times it can be really useful to just say, okay, well, when I speak with B2B product marketers like you, like Mm -hmm. if you're now imagine if you're having that as a conversation with someone, it's a very elegant way to establish that you have credibility with that group of people, right? Without having to say, well, we've worked or show a NASCAR slide, or you've got all your logos up. You can just say, well, when, when we talk with people like you, Mm -hmm. people like you have tend to have this question, right? And that's when the question comes in. They often want to know. And this is where we're establishing what does this group of people want Mm -hmm. that they don't yet have, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason why I like to frame it as a question is because it's, you are less likely, you're less likely to put in there what you wish they were asking than what they're actually asking, right? So a lot of times we like to say, well, their real goal deep down is they're trying to do X. Yeah, yeah, but they don't know that. Yeah. Mm. You're framing it as a question that they are asking you. And so the closer it is to the language that they use, the better. Okay, so what are your B2B product marketers? What do they want to know yeah. that, and here's the other thing you need, that you can help with? Like, what is your, uh, yeah, right. what is your approach solved for? Okay, yeah, so when we were talking about, yeah, our Ghost Ranch, our presentation design agency, usually there's a, a B2B product marketer would find us because they're an advocate, a champion of better storytelling and, and presenting at their org. And so I think they've come into a new org or re- just realized like, we suck at this. And I like, <laughs> so they're like, they value it and they're probably decent at it, but they're looking around like, oh my gosh, we, we got to level things up like org wide. So they often right. want to know how can we level up our presentation and storytelling game as an organization? Yeah. Super. I love that. Now, like a quick thing here is that one of the best things that this question can help you do is really further narrow your audience. Okay. Right. Because what this tells me is if you are saying they want to know how to up level or level up their presentations and storytelling, then you are not talking to people directly who are just saying, how can we improve the kind of probability of success of our sales conversation? Mm. Because those people, even though you could help those people, I know you could, Mm-hmm. But the person who's just saying, hey, how can we make our presentations better is in a different mental spot than someone saying, how can we get better at storytelling in our presentations? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And, and those are going to be two slightly different messages. They're going to be related, but you are going to have a better probability of success if you're clear on which one you're talking to. So I'm just curious, like in that choice, someone who's just saying, hey, we want to like, make our sales conversations better versus we want our presentations to be better versus we want to be better at storytelling, like for the purpose of our conversation today, which, which would be best, what's most ideal for you right right now? I think just with, as Mikey said there, a lot of times those folks that come to us might already value the impact and yeah, the value of storytelling. And certainly we think this might be a persona of presentation nation, the people listening to, to the podcast too. And you wouldn't be caring about this if you didn't care about presentations in a deeper level. And for that, I think storytelling values already there. So maybe for Mm -hmm. just this exercise, we go with how to like the deeper level, how to level up their storytelling. Storytelling. And they're Mikey, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And it's that consistency factor too. So if they're tasked with enabling the the whole sales field, but currently everybody's saying something different, I think there's something around alignment that is probably inherent to what they're asking too. 
Yeah. And they're probably not saying that part out loud, but that's right, the place right. where the next line comes in. So they can. Now, this is where, again, you can kind of, this is where, this is where you can subtly introduce without saying, hey, like it slices, it dices, but this is where you can start to suddenly introduce some of the outcomes that you're going to be able to present later. Like, you know, and so okay. one of the things is so that you can better align with the people in your audience, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, what else, why else would they be asking this question? So if they're like, we want to level up our storytelling and our presentations so that they can, what? Like, and this could be like, include some of those other questions that we discarded earlier. We right. get better, you know, our presentations can be more interesting and engaging. And ultimately, so we can raise the probability of success or increase our mm -hmm. lead quality or raise the level of awareness or, you know, convert more, right? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that you're putting there. Okay. Do you notice how it is the kind of, it is the equivalent of it slices, it dices, but you're not saying our product does. You're saying you're asking this question because you wish you had all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. What we're doing is we're setting that up at the beginning so that by the end, you can say, hey, do you see how we're going to be able to get you to do all this? Like, not only answer your question, but get everything else you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, but we're just subtly putting that up front. Okay. So I assume we got to get more specific than just saying, and I, maybe it depends on exactly the client we're speaking about here, but whether it's sell more, adopt more, because I wrote all those mm -hmm. down. I was like, you sell can, more, this is reach one more. place in, okay. this, in this document, this, so quick things in the sure. first blank and the second blank, one thing only you've got okay. one audience. And then with that goal question, you don't want there to be, there should not be an and anywhere in it. No compound okay. goals. Okay. But in this, so they can, you can give a laundry list if you want. Okay. It doesn't really matter because it's the, the, so they can, isn't part of the goal, right? It's, it's kind of the motivation behind the goal. Goal needs to be nice and clean. So how to level up their storytelling is perfect. How to level up their storytelling and improve their lead quality would not be good because mm -hmm. you can't, that's two messages at once and you two lanes. Yeah. It's two lanes. Um, you can't make two arguments simultaneously. That's sure. kind of, you know. All right. So now what we've done is we've established who we're talking to and what they want and they don't have. And our mm -hmm. brains now recognize that A, they're going to self-identify in that story that they're hearing, even though it's not told as a story, their brain recognizes it as one. And they're going to lean in because they're like, oh, somebody wants something that they don't have. What's going to happen? Yeah. Right? How's it going to end? Yeah. Ooh, kind of the hook too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And we want them to be able to sell more, reach more people and better uh, have better adoption rates. That's kind of our laundry list there. Perfect. Yeah. So now that we have that goal, now we need to start to explain. And now we, from a story perspective, we're introducing a problem that they don't know they have that's mm -hmm. getting in their way, right? A problem okay. that must be solved before they can get that. Mm -hmm. That's where the next two blocks come in. Yeah. So when, when looking for that answer, um, they, or the market often focuses on blank rather than blank. So there's a current perspective that they're being pointed toward or is like assumed to be you know, the, the way to, to go instead of this better approach. Is that, is that kind of right, Tamsin? Yeah. It's so th the key here to understand is that as much as we want to change what people do, right. We, and this is the thing here is that oftentimes when we're trying to get people to change, we're focusing on what they're doing more than on how they're seeing, but how we see drives what we do. So before mm -hmm. you can change what somebody does or even critique it, you actually mm -hmm. have to get them to understand how, 
their perspective is different than yours, right? You have to kind of open okay. that gap. Okay. So what we're looking for here and the language, even though I have in the conversational case, rather than I, you know, I've come to prefer the language of that we focus more on blank mm. than on blank. Like I like the more than rather than the rather than, because, mm. you know, I heard somebody, uh, um, Tony O'Driscoll, I think was his name today, who said uh, mm. it was a LinkedIn, really interesting LinkedIn live stream with Dory Clark. And he talked about how, you know, people, it's not that people don't like change, it's they don't like being changed. They don't like somebody forcing it on them. And so when you are presenting an alternative, and particularly when you're trying to say, hey, you're smart, capable, good people who've been mm -hmm. trying to level up your storytelling, you know, you're essentially, you're we're trying to figure out a gentle way to say what you're doing is not the right thing. Mm -hmm. The gentler way to do that is to say, well, you know what, you know, it makes sense that you're focused on this is where the answer might be, but because this other thing is true, that may not be there. So tell me based on your, where, when people are trying to improve their storytelling, now you see yep. this laid, this builds on what was there. When people try to improve their storytelling in their presentation, where do they think the answer is versus yeah. where do you think the answer is? So I just want to, yeah, just it, free associate. Yeah. Curious. This one, I always hear on, on kickoff or yeah. discovery calls, sales calls is we need a new template, you know? So like the industry, everybody tells them, all right, if we want to level things up across the board, let's just make a template. Cause that can scale. And everybody's going to have these fancy new slides, like a PowerPoint template, like a, a new PowerPoint like, template template. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I guess our approach is a more bespoke. Let's dig in and focus on the substance of each presentation and each story so that we can like give you a tailored story as opposed to trying to build this cookie cutter system that mm -hmm. is that true even for the folks that are already thinking in terms of storytelling do they still think it's solved with prettier slides i think a lot of times a, a lot of times like a, ten a template seems to be where they want to start and we kind of have to back them up and say why don't we start okay. with like okay. your core deck actually and you know 50 50 but a, get a lot of times yeah they get pointed toward kind of hung up on a template okay and contrast that, like, so if mm -hmm. it's, if it's, if it's not a template, right? Like, well, here's the thing to import that's sure. important. We have to understand why they think a template is where the answer is because okay, we fear loss more than anything, you know, when it comes to change, which means that they're not going to accept a new answer to something if they feel like they're going to lose the thing that they currently have with it. Right. So we have to figure out what they think they're getting with a template and then show how your mm -hmm. thing gets them that ant. So what do they like? What, oh, yeah. what do they want? Like what, you know, why are they focused on that? I think probably because it's easy, like it's easy to replicate a template. It's, they can, it's easy to share. It's kind of one size fits all. And especially for like bigger companies who are maybe expanding or trying to share one of these decks or presentations with the different teams, they can just send it out. And it's easy to understand as someone getting it without a lot of context. So it seems like a lot more work to put in some underlying like revisit the red thread, revisit your core story and evaluate like, how does your presentation align with that? Or does it not? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. They'll, yeah. And like exactly what Molly said is like, they do get visual consistency. And I think mm -hmm. that's like one of the things they want alignment on. Yeah. At least the sales team isn't throwing in like weird ass things from <laughs> Google images Clip and hodgepodging their own decks anymore, you know? Yeah. 
So there's two different problem pairs that I would suggest. And I, you know, one of the techniques that I talk about in the book is to, is to reduce these to single words or a pair of words or a pair of short phrases. Um, the more alliterative or prosodic, the better. In other words, the more they <laughs> kind of like sound good together, the better because A, stickier, B, easier to remember. And then C, the process of getting to those actually forces clarity. So for the purpose of speed, I'm going to give you an option between two different ones that I think would work based on what you just said. One is that we tend to focus more on form than function, mm-hmm. right? So like, you know, mm-hmm. you're because you talked about templates, that's a form. Like, and even if they're looking mm-hmm. for a story-based template, they're just like, give me the Mad Lib, I'll like, and you're like, yeah, but it's the blanks that actually matter. Um, So that's what we're trying to get to, form, function. Like, why are those pieces what they are, right? Which I know from my familiarity with your work at Ghost Ranch is where you can really help. The second thing is inspired, again, by something actually, Molly, you said, which is alignment. And one of the things that I was trying to talk about, you know, one of the things that Mikey was talking about was kind of the appearance of things. So the other pair that I'd suggest is appearance more than alignment. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Form over function and appearance over alignment. Right. And so I would choose one of those because you can, you don't want two things, but I would say one of those two would be where we would want to go. I mean, you can, he can overrule you when he comes back, but like between those two, like which one kind of feels more ghost ranchian. Yeah. Oh, they both are, they both are, I want to choose both, but I'm thinking that the Form over function gets to the core a little bit more with the storytelling. Like the function of the deck needs to tell a story, you know, and like the appearance is one thing, of course, and we want it to look great and branded and, and nice and fresh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with form over function for that. Okay. So that's how we'd fill this out. When looking for that answer, they, the market, you know, people often focus more on form. Like, how do we make it look? Is it Mm -hmm. something, is it a simple template that we can share more than on function? Is it actually doing what we need it to do? Like, why are those pieces what they are and what they're, and then you actually gave a reason for why that was important, because if it actually isn't functioning the way you want, then it, the form almost doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's where we would go next. So now we've got the goal and the problem established. Okay. And then the next place, place that we're looking for is that truth. Truth, the inarguable yeah. truth. Inarguable <laughs> truth. So what we're looking for here is, this is because we know that you're heading towards story, right? Or, mm-hmm. or it's not just story. We need the ghost ranch approach to story. Totally. This is where we need to figure out the next piece. And so this next line, so, so far we're at, you know, when we speak with, they often want to know so mm-hmm. they can. That's the mm-hmm. goal section. Problem section is when looking for that answer, they or the market focuses, tends to focus more on form than on function. Yep. yep. And okay. then this next one is yet we can all agree it's true. Yeah. Right? Okay. Or you can frame it as yet we at Ghost Ranch believe. Yeah. And um, this, I think, is when Mikey and I were talking about it beforehand, it was something hard to take ourselves out of because, you know, we're producing a podcast on sto- like presentation storytelling yeah. and think the thinking behind it. And like we're in, we're sold. So we believe that stories matter, but it's hard to kind of remove yourself from that and present an inarguable statement. So something yeah. we landed on that we don't totally love, but we'd love to work with you. We said that custom presentations are more memorable than a template. So okay. speak, trying to speak to that form over function piece we just worked out. Yeah. So I think, so this is one of those things where, and this is where I find that this tool can help because once you start to fill in, you start to say, well, do these pieces actually flow from one thing to another? Right. And so 
you know, we know that these folks are trying to up-level their storytelling. We're assuming they're going to agree with us with a little bit of explanation that they've been focusing more on form than function. And yet function fundamentally, like we have to make sure that it functions as a story Mm -hmm. as much as it looks like a story, which means we actually have to go a little deeper. Now that third piece is, ah, yeah. So this is, I mean, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is you want to get something customizable. So what we're trying to do here is we need to hear and explore why focusing on the function, right? Like on story, like what the things are and whether, how something is working. Mm -hmm. Here's what I want to ask you. What do you do as Ghost Ranch with your clients, right? That helps ensure that their stories are functioning as well as possible, even when, even when they're working in a template. Right. Right. Well, I think one indicator would be results, right? So it's, if it's working and it's really why does it work? So this is where we want to go. I don't want the, okay. I don't I want the benefits. I want the, why does it work? Like mm-hmm. why, why do you all believe that it's necessary to work with a company to figure out their core story before you can create this kind of, you know, this you know template that they're looking for? Right. Why is that necessary? Tell me that. We've arrived at the truth where we're trying to figure why it's necessary, like the underlying why that like function is matters more mm-hmm. than the form or, and yeah, matters. More and not than only the form. that it's we, why, why the best way to get to function, mm-hmm. like something that functions better, why their storytelling will up level better, why your approach will provide a better function. So what is it, mm-hmm. what is it about the nature of your approach? that ensures better functionality of their storytelling. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 That's great. Which Molly is it around? Like it's very white glove, deep dive bespoke. I don't know what the right term for it, but like we really dive in and embed with them to, to really deeply understand what they're trying to say Mm -hmm. and and how they're trying to say it versus a, I don't know. Is there like a kind of a question that I suppose a client comes to Ghost Ranch and is asking like, yeah, for the template, like how do we take them through that process, I suppose, and show them that truth that we believe mm. and that we need to make like inarguable. But what it, yeah, exactly. So why is it that finding their core story produces a better stories overall, right? Like that's, why do you believe that? Just associate that for me. Okay. Because getting to the core is more, mem- I, I I keep getting stuck on like this more memorable piece because okay, but why, why be- is it more memorable? Because it's true because we, their story is being told like in a truthful or authentic way. Maybe okay. I'm told, I'm kind of like wishing around here. I'm not exactly sure. Cause it's hard to kind of go mm-hmm. past that level, but we believe that true to the red thread, right? Like core messages stick and they're stickier because they're true and people can relate to them. And I think with Ghost Ranch in particular, the way in which we can tell a story helps to share maybe who that brand is or who someone is, like their story. I don't know. Mikey, what do you think? Help me out here. <laughs> it is something about a one-size-fits-all approach versus trying to make sure each unique deck, so like the first call deck, probably should be treated differently than the product drill down deck, you know? And so we try to approach each of those together with the client to make sure it's like really nailing that occasion. 
Okay. So a couple of things, two, two different directions again, to think about, mm-hmm. right. Based on what you've said so far. <clears throat> and again, I'm rushing through this like way yeah. faster than we would do this. Usually there's a day, like as we said a day. Totally. Um, so two different directions, just to be one is you could put into something like this to say stories are situational. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's built because you said, because you said, um, Mikey, like that, we have to kind of do this, right? So, and now you start to see if they're focused more on form than function, and then they agree that stories are situational, then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, like we can't just have a one size fits all thing because stories are situational, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, mm, right? So that's one direction to go. Another direction that speaks more to that core piece, Molly, that you were talking about is something along the lines that we would need to find a good way to say this is, if you think of story as worldview, it's the one thing that's truly unique, right? Mm-hmm. Like that only, like you're the only one who can tell your story your way. Right. Which mm-hmm. means if we're just looking at form, right? And we're not thinking about function, is it telling our story our way? That's not going to like, so that that would be the two options I would give. Like only you can tell your story your way. Again, you're looking for something where most people would agree with that. Without you having to explain it further, right? So either stories are situational, only you can tell your stories your way. And now we go to the next piece on the conversational case, which was, that's why our answer is, and then what would you put in there? Like, this is where you start to talk about your custom, like, that's why, and and this is where you don't want to give like five answers. You want to, you want to sum it up as like one big answer. So Mm -hmm. if you go stories are situational, right? You want to pick up on the concepts that you've given, we want to up-level our storytelling. We've been focusing more on form than function. We agree that stories are situational. So mm-hmm. that's why, right? We work with clients, you know, to find the core stories that allow them to, you know, adapt any to any form, any function, yeah. in any situation. Yeah. Boom. Ooh, ooh I like that. Great. How do you do that, Ghost Ranch? Uh-huh. Then mm-hmm. you can tell it. And that's the action piece. Here's yeah. That. And that's, that's awesome. And that's the piece where it becomes zooms a yeah. little bit back out or back in where it's like, we know that. Yeah. yeah. And that's where most people jump, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Most totally. of the time we're like, how can we up level our storytelling? Well, we have a five-step process okay. and they're like, yeah. but why? Like, why yeah. do you yeah. have that five? You know, and then, and that point really, they're just trying to announce, like analyze whether or not your five-step process sounds better than somebody sure. else's seven-step mm-hmm. process versus, you know, or they're doing it on price. Yeah. But when you're making the case based on principles mm-hmm. that the function is really you know, function needs to drive form because like, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Second, stories are situational. So if you're trying to say the same story the same way every time, well, then you're not going to achieve the function, which means you're not going to up-level your storytelling. Then by the time you say, so that's why, you know, we work with you to find the core story that allows you to adapt to any form, function, or situation. They're kind of like, Yes. Mm-hmm. Why would you do it any other way? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the goal where you you get to a point where someone goes, A, well, that's obvious now that you say it. And B, I've never heard anybody else say that that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what you want. You want the kind of unexpectedly obvious answer. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard with their, like, think about somebody who's now shopping. Most of the other people they're going to be shopping to are going to be like, we have a three-step process. And they're like, yeah, but what about this piece? And they're going to be yeah. like, uh, uh, uh. And they're not going to know because they haven't actually thought about <laughs> it. And this is where kind yeah. of doing this work can help. 
This have you awesome. ever called yourself like a brand messaging therapist? Because I feel oh, like that gosh, really. Yes. Yeah, people <laughs> really, refer yeah. to me like, you're like, this is message therapy. Yeah, because you're kind of like <laughs> shaking and being like, what is, uh, Mikey and I read Chip and Dan Heath's Made to Stick. And yes, yes, one yes. of the biggest takeaways for me was just that simplicity. And, and they kept coming back to showing like Proverbs really showcase that pl- simplicity. I know you've said in your book uh, and other talks like mathematical principles, scientific principles, Proverbs. Like, why do yes. people remember that? And it's because it's so, so simple. And it's like this universal truth and understanding, oftentimes translated in various languages, et cetera. Yes. Getting down to those three words that we just hammer, you hammered out for us, like stories are situational is really helpful because like, that's the why. That's what we're looking for. So this is frankly what the second book is about, right? Which is this idea of the way that you can explain even the most complicated, sophisticated ideas is that you reduce them to their core principles. Okay. And you're, you're essentially making the argument for your new thing based on like primal foundational principles that people already understand and agree with. So if somebody already agrees, like they may not have thought of it that way, but if you say to them stories or situation and are like, well, that's true. And you say to them, you know, well, if something doesn't function, then the form doesn't matter. They're like, well, that's true. So this is really where I'm trying to get people to say that that like any idea can mm-hmm. be reduced to its foundational core, those core principles. And that's the work. Um, and as you say, from Chip and Dan Heath, like the you know when you've got there, when it sounds like a proverb, when it sounds like something that, well, of course, like, and when you get to that, something that for your audience is inarguable, that's mm-hmm. that's what you want. And that's when you know you've gotten far enough when you can go, could our audience argue with that? And if the answer is not our ideal one, then you're good. You don't have to go any further. But if you're at yeah. a point where they could mm-hmm. argue with it, then that's when you just got to keep, you just have to keep digging until you find it. Okay. Well, this is super helpful. I know we kind of sped through this, but if we want to read out like kind of what we came out with our conversational case here, and I would highly encourage everyone to go take a look at this and then book some time to listen to the podcast with Samson so you can kind of get the pieces hammered out for you. But I really think this is a nice setup for, um, yeah. And yeah. like you said, if, even in just 10, 20 minutes hammering this out, and I know you do full day workshops on this. Yeah. So. Also, if you're listening, definitely visit TamsinWebster.com. And we highly recommend a workshop series with Tamsin herself, right? Like that's the beauty of it is we got to work directly with you. And that was pretty magical. And I, the whole team came away super fired up after a day, a, a workshop with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if I were to restate it, I think, I, yeah, I think I've think i got good. it here. You would be saying, so, hey, speaking as Ghost Ranch, I'm just going to mm-hmm. put myself on your team. Um, you, you know, are, when you we are. talk with B2B product marketers like you, you know what? They often want to know how can they really level up their storytelling? Because we all know that storytelling can help you sell more, reach more people. We know it's going to get better, you know, adoption. We just know it's going to raise your probability of success. Now, what we've discovered working with clients like you is that a lot of times you, we tend to focus on the form of what these presentations look like more than the function, right? And we're trying to find a template that we can use just everywhere to tell those stories, to make them look good, feel good. But really, it's the function that matters, right? Because if it doesn't have the function of the story, if it doesn't have what a story is supposed to do, connect with people, then it can't, like the form almost doesn't matter. But we believe at Ghost Ranch that stories are situational, right? You need a different story depending on where you are. And yet all those stories that you tell come back to the main story of what makes you you. 
That's why at Ghost Ranch, we work with our customers and our clients, right, to find that core story that we can adapt into any form, any function, any situation, so that you have that consistent yet customizable message that you're looking for. Oof. All right. So glad we're recording. We got to <laughs> listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe at the beginning of every day or yeah. every team meeting. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It sounds, it's just a, it's kind of a little like battle cry. And another thing we've heard the core story called is like the commander's intent. And I yes. think that yes. kind of fits Oh my gosh. I love too. the commander's intent. Yeah. It's one of my yeah. favorite concepts. Oh, I've forgotten about that. So, so good. good. Yeah. And we even cut like, this feels, you know, cut short almost, but this is like such good information mm-hmm. to walk away with. But Tamsin, at the end, of, I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time we love to open up the spice cabinet which is just where we get to plug what you're working on um you've already given us lots of previews into the new book um people can find you at your website tamsinwebster.com of course but yeah what um what else are you working on when's the the book coming out so the book would be right now if i if i stay on track with it it'll be may 2024 and this one will actually be like in bookstores i'm planning on this one as a trade book we're we're still working on title or else i'll give it to you but um i said i gave you the core thesis which is that the best way to get people invested in an idea is to make it part of a story they already believe Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this stuff about like principles and arguments and syllogisms and and all of that is part of it, but that's where we're trying to go. So I would say if people are interested, much like I did last time, anybody who's part of my newsletter really gets kind of advanced peaks at this because that's where I work out the pieces of these ideas. And oftentimes that's where early drafts of chapters show up. So I you mm-hmm. know, sign up at tamsonwebster.com slash newsletter. But that, yeah, that's really very much where my brain is right now. Simultaneously, I'm also working on creating more tools like the conversational case so that kind of adapting and implementing kind of red thread thinking is a bit easier. Cool. So I already have something I call the content storyboard, which is like, you know, like a storyboard for screenwriting, but for content that's based on that. But finding out, you know, creating other templates just to make some of this, you know, make the form and function as seamless as possible for people and they can customize as needed. Awesome. Those starting points are so helpful. Those frameworks to get over the blank page kind of syndrome and stuff. It's amazing. I'm, I'm glad. And Tamsin, you've worked with TEDx, you know, you've, you've given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of presentations yourself. Um, so you take that really seriously since you're on the presentation thinking podcast, we were curious to ask you, like, what does presentation thinking mean to you? If you've ever thought about those two words together. (laughs) Yeah. Presentation thinking. I mean, to me, it is the way I think about presentation thinking is what is the best way for me to translate this idea into the concepts and language that my audience is most likely to understand and agree with? Like, so it's, it really is that like, because my concepts and language don't matter if they don't make sense to that person. So like, that's my job. Anytime I'm thinking about information and presenting it is what are the concepts and language? Like what's true between these two things? Like I've got my world, like think of it as a Venn diagram. I've got like everything that I know, understand and believe. And then there's everything that my audience knows and understand and believes. And I need to make my presentation from the intersection of those two things. And that's my job. And so that's for me, presentation thinking is always looking for and building the presentation in that overlap between what I know and what my audience knows so that I can, yes, introduce them to some new concepts, but it has to start with where they are right now. Yeah. Love that Venn diagram visual. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Helpful for us too. We love asking people that because it's just such a different perspective with everyone, but it comes down to the core thing of 
yeah, delivering what you know and connecting to an audience. And you might know this is coming, but we love to ask our guests, you know, especially because you've been given your own TED talk and been a part of many of those audiences. If you got to choose Tamsin Webster walking out to give like, maybe even like the presentation of your life and your life's work, what is your, what is your walkout song? What are you listening to? Oh my gosh. Um, I do tend to, I do tend to make them situational. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I have a big talk about, uh, about the moment of truth, which I call the logic of emotion, which uses like uses star Wars and I am your father as a way to, <laughs> so in that one, I walk out to like the star Wars theme. Um, Amazing. but I would say if it's like, if it's about me and like, you know, I'm dating myself, but Ally McBeal esque like theme song, um, it's definitely Edith Piaf. No, 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 I can never say it. Regrets are real. Like, yes. Like, no, I regret nothing. Yes, that's uh No, rien de rien. No, je ne regrette rien. But yes, that's, that's probably not like presentation friendly, but it's definitely like. No, I love it's epic though. I'm a big Francof- epic. Yeah. A Francophile, so that's yeah. We're gonna have it play on the loudspeakers for your walk up here. Right. And I love the random places that song comes up. Like it's like mm-hmm. it is the theme. Like you t- you mentioned Inception before. Like that's the song they play mm-hmm. when they come like back mm-hmm. out of like. Mm-hmm. And then I was just watching like Wednesday. I started watching that, and then like yes, that's the song they're too- playing when Wednesday like releases the piranhas in the pool. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, that's yeah, sweet. okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It means I regret nothing. You know, it's very deliberate. And I think it's kind of like, it's really an anthem, I think, in that way. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's very much. And uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, honestly, the way I would tie it back to presentations is the thing that I learned as a speaker and I continue to learn is the more that I kind of go out there as unapologetically me while still having done the work of translating things into concepts and language, the more successful I have been. So the, you know, like the more that I lean into like the wonk and whatever, but find a way to make that fun for people. So yeah, that same Star Wars talk has like a slap chop infomercial in it and, and Aristotle, like syllogisms and, you know, and uh false consensus effect and cognitive miser. And the more that I can like find a way to blend that for people, the mm-hmm. more that it just works. And I feel great about it. That's awesome. I think that's a great place to end and take away like be yourself up there and like find your voice. And then where does it, where does it mesh with what the audience knows and where can you meet them? Yeah. So Tamsin, thank you so much for joining That's us. Awesome. We'd love to have you on another time to like, yes. you probably have a thousand yeah. Ted talk stories so that you could I tell know. us. We didn't, so, I want to ask all about the Ted yeah, stories. Like, we should save that for <laughs> another episode. Happy to come episode. back and like do the, te- the, the Ted, Ted, Ted style talk version. Happy to do <laughs> yeah. that too. Wait, Mikey's also on all. his own personal journey to a TED Talk, so we'll have to bring you oh in to really scope out. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a joke, but it's absolutely not at the same time. So there you go. it's going to yeah, happen. Totally. It's going to happen. All right, <laughs> friends. So good to see you both. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for joining yeah. Tamsin. Tamsin Webster, everyone. Thank you for joining. Happy New Year. And yeah, can't wait to link all these fun nuggets for you. Keep so on pitching. So appreciate it. Keep on Thanks pitching. Again.